So I am not a pastor. And those of you that have heard me speak before know that I probably say this pretty frequently. But uh, the reason I bring that up is because I have a brother and my dad and know a lot of people that are pastors. And one thing they've always said is you should never piggyback off of the song that the worship team just left with. The good news is I'm not a pastor, so I can do that. But I, I, I stood there singing this song, and it, it's impactful. What a powerful name, the name of Jesus. I mean, when you stop and you think about it, it, it is. I mean, that, that is, there's a lot of power there. And Paul, as we continue our study through the book of Romans, Paul knew this. I mean, Paul lived it. He was met on the road to Damascus. He, he was met by God, and it changed his life. I mean, you want to talk about somebody that really knew and understood the power of that name. So Paul then goes on into his mission work from that point, and, and that's where we are in Romans. We're, we've been talking. We're up to chapter 11 this week, and chapter 11 is going to start off very similar to what his theme was in chapters 8 and 9 and 10. And that is this passion that he has, this burning desire for his own people, his fellow Jews, for the nation of Israel to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, to accept that gospel message that's being put out there, and to receive salvation. And up to this point, they've kind of been hardened to it. They haven't really been listening to it. They've kind of, in a sense, been rejecting it. And as Paul starts off in chapter 11, he's kind of thinking about that, and he's addressing the Gentiles, and he knows that they also have been thinking this because he's been talking about it so much to them. And so he poses right away with this question, did God reject his people? Now, when you stop and you think about his people, the nation of Israel, that seems like a fairly logical question to ask, especially if you're thinking back to the nation of Israel in Old Testament times. They had this, this pattern where they would be disobedient to God, and then they would fall into oppression because of it, and then they would cry out and ask God to save them. He would send somebody, they'd be delivered, they'd be at peace, and then they would get bored and fall right back into it. And it was just this constant cycle of behavior for them. And so it does kind of make sense that Paul would be thinking this and pose this question to the Gentiles, did God reject his people? But as I mentioned a minute ago, Paul was passionate about his own people. Paul himself was a Jew, and he says, by no means, for I am an Israelite myself, God did not reject his people. If God had totally rejected his people, Paul wouldn't be there giving that message. So now you're kind of thinking like, okay, maybe God didn't reject him, but they clearly have rejected God. We just talked about that, that pattern of disobedience that they would go through. And now with the new covenant, they're rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, they went so far as to crucify him. They've been hardened to the message of salvation. They're not wanting to receive it at all. And they, they've gone on to not only reject it, but they are persecuting 
and imprisoning people that are trying to share that message. And Paul knows this full well because that's what he was doing before God met him on the road to Damascus. So he's kind of thinking about what the Gentiles are probably thinking as well. And so he poses another question. He says, did they stumble to fall beyond recovery? Now, when we think about this, that, that idea of being beyond recovery, you know, my, my kids, I love them with all my heart. I would do anything for them. There isn't, I don't think there's anything that they could do that they would mess up so bad that I would stop loving them. God feels the same way about the nation of Israel. They are his chosen people. As we learned about a couple weeks ago, they were the chosen nation to carry the message. Unfortunately, like Nate Brecht with the cookies, they ran off and saved it for themselves. They were the people that were described as having the beautiful feet to take it out, but they didn't. So instead, they have to send other people. But this is still God's chosen nation. You know, he made the promise to Abraham that the, the, the men, he would be a father of many generations. So these are his people. So they're not beyond recovery. Paul says, not at all. And then he reminds them it's actually because of their transgression, it's because of their disobedience, it's because of their mistakes that salvation has been able to come to you, the Gentiles. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how God, sometimes in his plan, he will harden people's hearts so that other parts of his plan can be carried out. That's what Paul is referring to here. He's talking about how the nation of Israel, they've hardened their hearts to this message. Not all of them, but most of them have hardened their hearts to it. They're rejecting it. And because of that, that means this message can be pushed out and given to everyone else and shared with everyone else. So he wants to illustrate his point to them. So as they often did in those times, he takes something that everybody there knows and understands, and he picks an olive tree. And he says, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. So he wants to give them this visualization, right? He says, here's an olive tree, and imagine that that olive tree is the nation of Israel, which wasn't hard for them to imagine because Israel used the olive tree as a symbol for themselves. I mean, even today, it still stands as a symbol for them. It's stamped on some of their coins that they use for currency. It has long been a standing symbol for them. So he says, here's, here's Israel as an olive tree, and they're rooted in their ancestors and their forefathers of Isaac and Abraham and, and Jacob. And some of these natural branches have been broken away from this tree. And then he says, you Gentiles, you're more like these, these wild olive shoots. And we had to cut these branches off so that we could graft you into this tree. Now, I don't know how many of you have any experience with grafting. Um, I'm, I'm not an arborist or tree surgeon, as they like to be called. But I have, I have dabbled in it. I've experimented with it. I've had some success, and I have had several failures. But I, I've 
taught my kids a couple of things. I, I, we were walking one day on our, across our property, and there was a, a group of, of saplings that were all growing very close together. And so I took them, and I started twisting them together. So they, you had you know, four or five different trunks coming up, and they all twisted together. And this was several years ago. And you can walk out into our woods today and see that these have started to grow together into one big tree coming from separate trunks. Now, that's not exactly grafting. I have, as I said, I've, I've dabbled in that a little bit. I helped a friend several years ago who wanted to try and grow um, miniature trees. So we basically cut about a two-foot section out of the trunk and then grafted the tops back in. And about half of them survived. The other half didn't. They became very useful for a bonfire. But it, it, it's, it's this idea of taking part of something and putting it back in and, and letting it grow. Now, my grandfather, I mean, that man, you want to talk about a green thumb. He could grow anything. And I remember as a kid, they had my, he and my grandmother, they had this beautiful little farm. And I loved in the summers when we would go and we'd spend a few weeks up there with them. And I always loved the days when my grandfather would say, let's go to the orchard today and work on the trees. He had this little apple orchard at the very top of the hill behind his house. And we would, we would go out and he would gather up, uh, he would take a saw and he would take pruning shears and he would take a pair of loppers. And then he always had this wicker basket with branches in it. And he would carry that up and we would be running around and playing and picking apples and throwing rotten ones at each other because that's what brothers do. But I would oftentimes stop and watch my grandfather. He wasn't a man of a lot of words. He just kind of did his work. And he would go along, and he would, you would see him. like He'd pull branches down, and he would inspect them. And some of them he would let go, and others he would cut them off. And then he'd reach in his basket, and he'd pull a branch out, and he would graft it in. And he would tie twine around it, and he'd move on. And one day my curiosity got the better of me, and I asked him, I said, what do you, why do you do that? Like those branches you're cutting off look pretty good. And he said, yeah, they, they are. The leaves are green and shiny. The wood is, is moist. They are good branches. But here's the thing. These apple trees here on this hill, I've been taking care of them very carefully for several years. But the real reason I get such good fruit out of them is because these branches in this basket came from the wild apple trees out in the pasture. And what he was doing is he was taking and he would put those wild branches into a tree that has been carefully cared for and cultivated. And he said, by doing this, it makes these natural branches produce better fruit. I, I couldn't argue with him on that. I mean, I think he had the best apples. I might have been a little biased because grandma made such good pies out of them and apple butter. But... He had delicious apples every year. As I said, we would throw rotten ones at each other, but we usually had to pick the same ones back up because there weren't that many of them. See, the lesson here is that grafting a branch in, especially a wild branch, is going to force the tree to produce better fruit. And I think that's kind of the idea that Paul had in his mind when he was using this illustration. And I'm going to show you why. Let, let's back up a couple, a couple verses. He said to them, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles 
to make Israel envious. And then a couple of verses later, he again says, I'm talking to you Gentiles in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save them. Now you're like, how are we talking about being jealous, grafting trees? Like, this isn't making sense. Follow me for one minute, okay? Imagine you're back in high school. I know it was like yesterday for most of us. When you're in high school and you want to make somebody jealous, what did you do? You went and talked to somebody else and hung out with somebody else. I mean, if I wanted to make a girl envious, I'd go date another girl. Usually happened pretty quick that way. Like you, you, that's what Paul's getting at here. He's like, look, I want my people to hear this message of salvation. I want them to understand this idea of being grafted in and how good it can be so that's why I'm giving the message to you. I'm talking to all of you about it because I want them to get jealous of it and want it as well. So he says, this illustration of the olive tree is like this. This is Israel. These are these carefully cared for, cultivated, meticulously maintained olive trees. And they're growing in these groves. And they do have nice branches on them, and they do produce good olives. But then you've also got this. You've got these wild olive trees that are, they'll grow anywhere. I mean, the resilience of this tree to grow out of a rock. And he says, this is, this is you. This is the Gentiles. This is everybody else. You're these wild trees out here. And that's why I'm, I'm taking you, these, these branches off of these wild trees and I'm going to graft them back in to the tree of Israel. So when you think about it that way, it kind of changes the layout of this diagram now. We've still got the tree and the branches. We've got the ones broken off. We've still got our roots. But it still stems from Israel. From their roots in Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and David, but ultimately from God's promises to them. And Jesus, who came from that background, is now, the, is now growing into the church. And these branches are the church. So you've got those believers that are already part of that natural tree. And you've got the, the Gentiles that are the branches being grafted in. And you've still got the other ones, these unbelievers that are broken off. But when you look at it this way, you see what Paul was really getting at here. He says, I'm grafting you guys in to make everybody better. That's the idea behind this. So now the Gentiles are like, oh, okay. So what you're saying, Paul, is we're number one, right? Because they had to get rid of those other branches so that we could be grafted in. So obviously we're better. We, we got this. And he knows that that's, again, probably what they're going to think because he warns them. He says, you know what, though? Don't consider yourself superior to those branches because if you do, think about this. You do not support the root. The root supports you. Hmm. Kind of a, kind of a smack in the face for a minute there. You guys got to remember, it's not all about you. 
It's about all of us. So he continues to promote this idea of unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. He goes on to say, like, you know, you might say, well, they were broken off so that we could be grafted in, Paul. Come on. He says, well, maybe, but they were broken off because of their unbelief. You are grafted in because you stand by faith. So do not be arrogant, but tremble. When he has, says this idea of tremble, like some versions are, are, say it as be humble. He's reminding them that the branches were not broken off just so you could be grafted in. They were broken off on their own accord because of their unbelief. Because you had faith, that is why you were able to be grafted in. So he goes back to this tree and he says, remember, it's these roots down here that ultimately stem from God. That is what supports the tree. It's not the other way around. I mean, if you were to take this tree and plant it upside down, what's going to happen? It's going to die because these roots aren't in the ground where they need to be to receive the nutrients and to send it throughout the branches so that they can flourish and grow and produce fruit. See, God is, is saying, as a church, we need to be supporting each other just the way God supports us. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. We're all one church. We're all in this together. We're all meant to produce fruit. And that means we will have to graft some wild branches in sometimes to get better fruit. And then he continues his passion for his people that have not received this message. These broken off branches. He says, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. God is able to graft them in. Remember a minute ago he asked, are they too far gone? Absolutely not. Those branches that were broken off, if they're not dead, we can pick them up and we can graft them back into that tree and they can grow and produce fruit. It's better for them to be attached from the beginning and never have been cut off at all. But if it happens, God can graft them back in. God can heal. God can restore. All it takes is faith. They were dropped off because of their unbelief but with faith, they can be grafted back in. And that's why Paul reminds us, it's all about humility here. It's all about the humility. We can't graft ourselves into the tree. It has to be done by the caretaker, which is God. It, it, we have to have the faith to be grafted in. It's not our own works. It's by God's grace, by God's mercy, and our faith in him that it is able to happen. And that is the only way that it can happen. And I know Paul, again, he, he's very 
direct about this because he wrote it again in other letters in, in Ephesians 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Completely humble. Not a little bit. Not some humble. Completely humble. Because there is nothing that any of us can do on our own that is going to be good enough. He also writes in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. He continues this, with this idea of you can be grafted in, you can be a part of the tree, but you have to remain humble because we don't support ourselves. The roots support us. And then we, in turn, support each other to produce better fruit. So the question we want to ask today is this. Are you a wild shoot or are you a broken branch? Where are you at today? Hopefully all of us are wild shoots that have been grafted in and we're helping to encourage other branches there to produce better fruit because that's our responsibility. That's what we are called to do. Because if we devote our time and our efforts into helping others and helping them produce better fruit, that means somebody is doing that for us as well. We have to work together. Again, it's that idea of unity that Paul has been talking about throughout all these chapters. Maybe you're a wild shoot, but you know somebody that's a broken branch. Maybe it's one of your kids Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a close friend. Or maybe you yourself are a wild branch or broken branch. And the question is then, what's stopping you from being grafted in? What's stopping you from being fed those nourishments from the roots? I was a broken branch for many years of my life. Not a good place to be. You feel isolated and alone. You know, you think about that, that picture of the tree and the broken branches laying on the ground. That, that branch is just there. It can't pick itself up. It just lays there, withering away. Wouldn't it be great to be picked up and grafted in and be brought back to life? Wouldn't it be great to not be laying there withering away, but rather being supported by a network and group of people with the same mindset and the same love and the same passion that want to see you grow and flourish and produce fruit? What's stopping you? Don't wait. All it takes is faith. Now, it's easy in either one of these categories to let pride get in the way. That's human nature. If we're a wild shoot and we harbor pride, we're not going to do our best at supporting others. We're not going to do our best at producing fruit. If we're a broken branch and we allow pride to keep us from getting grafted back in, we're going to continue to lay there and feel isolated. That's why Paul talks so much about humility. We have to humble ourselves in every way. Be completely humble. We need to allow ourselves to be grafted in. And once we're there, we need to do our part. And we need to support each other 
and help each other produce the best fruit that we can. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for all the amazing things that you do for us, but mostly the, just the, the, the gift of salvation, the way you had your plan, you created this, this perfect world, but mankind messed it all up, and you were just like, whatever, I love you guys, let me figure out another way. And so here comes this plan of salvation, and it's simple yet complicated. It's easy yet difficult. But God, it is so great when we take advantage of it. And so, Lord, I just pray that today, if there's any broken branches out there, that today would be the day they allow themselves to be picked up and grafted back in. And God, I pray for all of us wild shoots that are already part of that tree, that we would continue to do our best to stay rooted in you so that we can continue to grow and produce fruit, not only for ourselves, but in the lives of others, and that we would do our part to support each other that we would take time this week out of our busy schedule to reach out to somebody. God, at any given moment, somebody is going through something. And there may be some right here today that are struggling with things. Lord, I pray today is the day that we just extend ourselves, that we open up and we say, how can I help you? How can I support you? How can I pray for you? What do you need right now? Because God, even, even when Jesus was here, even in his most tired moments, he still was asking others, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I serve you? And Lord, that is, that is what it is about. So Lord, I pray for encouragement and I pray for strength for everybody to reach out this week and be those supporting branches. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.